0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Abba, thank you for your presence this morning. I pray that your word would go forth and encourage and edify your people. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. When leaders take the lead in Israel, when people freely offer themselves, bless Adonai. Listen, O kings. Give ear, O rulers. I, to Adonai, I will sing. I will praise Adonai, the God of Israel. Adonai, when you came out from Seir, when you marched from Edom's field, the earth trembled. The heavens also dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before Adonai. This Sinai at the presence of Adonai the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Ya'el, the highways were deserted. Travelers walked by crooked paths. Villages were deserted in Israel. Deserted until I, Deborah, arose. A mother in Israel arose. This is the beginning of the song of Deborah. It's a song of victory, memorializing the prophetess and judge Deborah. Reading this week's Haftarah portion got me thinking about the mothers in our Messianic Jewish movement, the matriarchs of our community here in Richmond. This week I was blessed to be able to chat and hear some of the story of Fran Slate, she is one of the founders and visionaries of Tikvot Israel and the Messianic Jewish movement here in Richmond, and she currently lives in Israel. Today is actually the yard site for Mo Slate that we said earlier when we said the Kaddish, uh, who was uh, Fran Slate's husband. The Tree of Life, just outside our sanctuary here in the small sanctuary, is dedicated to Mo and it was commissioned by Fran while she was still here in Richmond. Many synagogues have memorial plaques, but Fran reminded me this week on the phone that ours is a tree of life, because in Messiah we have the assurance of eternal life. And you'll notice that the Hebrew letters of the tree spell out Yeshua. Fran told me that she accepted the Lord in a Baptist church in this area before being married to Mo, Then, when her son was 13, he turned to Fran and said, Mom, I want a bar mitzvah. Fran replied, but we're in a Baptist church. They don't do that here. He replied, I know, but I'm Jewish, and I want to have a bar mitzvah. She knew she couldn't do it at the church, and she found she was unable to do it at a local synagogue because of her faith in Yeshua. Thus began the seeds of Messianic Judaism in this area, because a mother in Israel, just like the prophetess Deborah. Fran spoke to Sid Roth. She spoke to Dan Juster. She spoke to Joe Rosenfarb, uh, pretty much anyone she could get an ear from, right? Anyone who would listen. And finally, she ended up driving her son to Norfolk. It's about an hour and a half each way to meet with Rabbi Joe Rosenfarb, who agreed to train her son for his bar mitzvah. Rabbi Joe is still there, by the way, uh, at Beth Messiah in Norfolk. I also spoke to him this week. He's doing well. Eventually, she sensed the need for a Messianic Jewish gathering in Richmond because, you know, it's a a long schlep to, to Norfolk. Right, So they would meet at a restaurant off of 95 South in a private room and have a minion. Later on, Fran continued to ask leaders like Dan Juster to send a rabbi. And eventually, Jamie Cowan came down from Maryland. Jamie said that the leadership meetings and worship meetings for the first 10 years of Tikvot's existence were at the home of Fran and Mo Slate. And Fran always provided an amazing oneg. Perhaps this was the origin of Tikvot Israel having the best oneg in town. I don't know. They would play a tape of lamb for their worship. And if you don't know the band Lamb, or you don't know what a tape is, ask someone my age or older. (laughs) Jamie Cowan told me this week that Fran played a vital role Not only in the founding of Tikvot Israel, but in the direction and vision of the congregation. Tikvot Israel met in a church for a while after that, and then we moved to our synagogue building here, eventually purchasing it. Fran told me she had a conviction that this would be a synagogue for Yeshua, that we should be celebrating the Jewish holidays, that we should be singing the Misha Berach that we sang today, that we should be a real synagogue, not a church with Jewish flavor. She continued to hold to that vision as the years went on, clinging to the faithfulness of God. After we chatted and prayed together, at the end of the call, she told me this, she is and always will be the mom of Tikvot. And a mom always loves her children. She thinks of us all as her children still, and she sends her love. So what does the text mean when it says Deborah was a mother in Israel? Could this be literal? If so, she was a busy working mom, right? Changing diapers, driving the kids to soccer practice, all while performing a nine-to-five prophesying to the kings of Israel. It's possible. If it's not literal, it means she had a maternal role in the community, as many women here at Tikvot Israel do, both past and present. So what is the story of this dynamic mother in Israel, this remarkable matriarch named Devorah? The Haftarah portion opens like this in the TLV. Now Deborah, a woman who was a prophetess, the wife of Lapidote was judging Israel at that time. Let's leave that up there for a second. Now, uh, Monique Brumbach, the executive director of the UMJC and a mother in Israel in her own right, translates this differently with this comment. This is what she says, quote, Deborah's introduction is striking. Now, Deborah, a woman, a female prophet, a woman of flames, she herself, she was judging Israel at that time. Do you notice the difference? Instead of wife of Lapidote, it says a woman of flames. Hmm. This is no ordinary woman, This uh, Monique continues. Not simply a female prophet like Miriam or Huldah, not only a judge like Gideon. Instead, she bears the unique distinction of serving both prophet and judge. The only other biblical figure to serve in both roles simultaneously is Samuel. The man who established the Jewish monarchy and anointed its first two kings. Unquote. So why is this, why does Monique say that this is a woman of flames instead of the wife of Lapidot? Well, the Hebrew says Eshet Lapidot. So some translators see Lapidot as the name of her husband. But, you know, it's unlikely because it's a, it's a feminine kind of name. You know, it's the, the, the feminine ending, Lapidot, right? And it's also a noun. Meaning what? Flames, right? So the alternative translation, woman of flames, makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. In other words, Devorah is a fireball. Do you know any women like that? I sure do. The name Devora, her name itself also means bee. Not like to be or not to be, but like the buzz buzz bee, right? So she's a fiery bee, right? Fire bee. That sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Okay. So, and then we have the word that she's a judge. She's judging Israel. And the word judge is a little bit misleading. Uh, when we hear that Devorah was a judge, we might now think that of a judge like this. The notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But that's not what it was. A judge was not like our judges. In the Hebrew scriptures, it was a charismatic leader. Uh, usually a military hero who rescued the people of Israel from their enemies. So we think of Gideon, right, or Samson. These were the judges. They were charismatic military heroes. The book of Judges usually has a kind of narrative pattern, and the story of Devorah is no exception. So this is what happens if you read through the, uh, the book of Judges, you get this kind of pattern. Number one, is apostasy and sin. So Israel is veering off from the Torah and worshiping other gods. And then they are given into the oppression of the enemy's hand, usually the Canaanites, right? Which is where they were. They were in the land of Canaan um, after Joshua brought them in. So they're they're kind of uh, suffering a lot here. And then they cry out to the Lord, please save us, deliver us, right? And then a deliverer, aka a judge like Gideon, saves them, and then the land has rest, often for 40 years. So this is the pattern that we see in the story of Deborah as well. Notice that this is also very similar to another story. What story is it similar to? The Exodus, that's right, yeah, okay, which is this week's Torah portion, right? And we have the song of Moses, and we have the song of Deborah, right? So there's a connection to the Torah portion there as well. So how does this narrative play out in the story of Deborah? Well, it's quite dramatic and action-packed, and uh, it's not for the faint of heart. So here we go. Deborah used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah. I guess when you're that boss, you get your own tree. Kind of nice, okay? And the children of Israel would come to her for judgment. The text doesn't say how she got to this position, But most scholars believe there was some sort of military victory beforehand, as in the other judges, like Gideon. That would make sense, right? Israel, at this point, was in idolatry again, and the Midrash says that they were also not following the Torah. So they were under oppression by the Canaanites, and they cried out to God. And here's where we pick up the story. Now, Deborah sent and summoned Barak, meaning lightning, son of Abinoam from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't Adonai, the god of Israel, commanded, Go, march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali, the sons of Zebulun. Then at the Kishon torrent, I will draw out to you Sisera, commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will give him into your hand. But Barak said to her, If you're going with me, then I will go. But if you aren't going with me, I won't go. Surely I will go with you, she said. However, no honor will be yours on the way that you are about to go. For Adonai will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. Then Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kedesh. And 10,000 men marched up after him. And Deborah went up with him. So Deborah uh, continues to encourage Barak, and, uh, and then later, we think, you know, the narrative sort of hints that the woman that's going to defeat uh, Sisera, this Canaanite uh, military leader, is probably going to be who? It's probably going to be Deborah herself, right? That's what we would assume. But there's another figure that arises, okay? And so um, she uh, is encouraging Barak, but then we're introduced to these other characters. So, one of them is Yael, a Kenite woman who is loyal to Israel. So the Kenites are associated with the Midianites. If you, if you think about Jethro, he's called um, a Midianite and a Kenite, and Jethro is, of course, Moses' father-in-law. So this is a, a, a people group that's been friendly to Israel throughout, right? Jethro is, is, gives good advice to Moses, and we're, we're pretty cushy with the Kenites and the Midianites. Okay? And so that's where Yael comes from. This is a woman from this people group. And then there's Jabin and Sisera. And uh, this Sisera is the general of this king. And these are Canaanite rulers. And the text says they've been oppressing Israelites, the Israelites, harshly for 20 years. Right? So it's about time for some liberation. Right? Okay. So this is what the text says. Now, You with me so far? Okay. Arise, for this is the day in which Adonai will deliver Sisera into your hand. This is Deborah encouraging Barak again. Has Adonai not gone out before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Adonai threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into confusion before Barak with the edge of the sword. Then Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth Hagoyim. The whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not one was left. Meanwhile, Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between King Jabor of Hazor and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, "'Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Don't be afraid.' So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a blankie. Aww. She said to him, he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him, made him drink some and covered him, right? And milk, I think, has that, uh, that, that warm milk has that tryptophan, right? You know, kind of makes you sleepy, drowsy. That's why you have warm milk before bed. Anyway. Okay, So then he said to her, stand at the entrance of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks you saying, is there a man here, you will say, there's no one. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg, got a hammer in her hand, approached him stealthily, drove the pin into his temple until it pierced through into the ground, for he was exhausted and in a deep sleep. So he died. Now behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said, come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So we entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with a tent pin in his temple. So on that day, God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before B'nai Yisrael. The hand of B'nai Yisrael pressed hard on King Jabin of Canaan until they had cut off King Jabin of Canaan. Wow. <laughs> it's quite a story, right? Here again, I found uh, Monique Brumbach's take on this strange tale, quite helpful. This is what she says about it. Quote, For centuries, commentators have lost their minds over the roles played by Deborah and Barak in this tale. Many interpret Barak's dialogue with Deborah as a sign of cowardice and Yael's glory as a suitable, quote-unquote, punishment. Shaming Barak helps to explain how God could possibly use a woman to do something as masculine as making war or assassinating a sleeping general, as if... You know, God only uses women when there are no good men around. That's kind of the, that way of thinking, of interpreting this text. But if Barak is really such a mouse, why does the writer of Hebrews include him in the great hall of heroes, along with Gidon, Samson, and King David? Hebrews eleven thirty two. If there are no good men around, how does Barak find 10,000 of them to take up arms against the fearsome army of Cicero? Only a real mensch runs into a dangerous battle knowing there will be no glory in it for him. Think about that, right? He knows he's not going to get the glory, and yet he goes in and fights. And where is the shame in asking a prophet who is also a successful warlord to come with you? She has a direct line to God. She's the architect of the grand plan, and she's quite experienced in battle. It would make sense to want her there on the big day to talk strategy in real time, offer divine input, and boost the morale of the troops, which, you know, she does. Barack insisted that Deborah come with him to make war and has been belittled by civilian commentators ever since. What if his ultimatum is a sign of faith rather than cowardice? We shouldn't forget that Barack won the war. The text suggests that he won because he brought the Woman of Flames along, not in spite of her presence. And together they brought peace to the land for 40 years. How much more could we accomplish as a community if our men of lightning, that's Barak, and women of flames, that's Deborah, could work together for the sanctification of God's holy name without a thought, giving a thought to glory, honor, shame, or credit, unquote. I thought that was really nice, her take on that. So this story, therefore, isn't about shaming one gender in order to lift up the other one, right? But rather, it's about teamwork without personal glory. And it's even about how in societies of male dominance, women can provide real leadership and a prophetic voice of encouragement and righteousness. There is a real battle out there, but it's not against the Canaanites. This time, it's against that other kingdom, of injustice and evil and chaos. Every woman in this room is a Devorah, a mother in Israel, a woman of flames. You serve and bless without seeking recognition. You encourage others. You speak life. You care for the hurting and marginal. You pray, you teach, you love, you reflect the heart of Messiah every day. The rabbis identify ten redemption songs in the scriptures. Numbers one and two are during the Exodus. Number two is the song of Moses and Miriam, as in this week's Parsha. The sixth is the Song of Deborah, which we read a little bit of today. The tenth, they say, will be the final song of redemption, a combination of all these rescues, a full salvation when all suffering will be no more, all evil will be vanquished, and our joy will be complete. I'd like to end with this quote from the book of Revelation, which looks forward to this moment that our rabbis have been thinking of and dreaming of. So let's read it together. Then I saw another great and wonderful sign in heaven, seven angels who have seven plagues, the last ones, for with them God's wrath is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had overcome the beast and his image and the number of his name standing by the sea of glass holding the harps of God, and they are singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and wonderful are your deeds, Adonai Elohei Sabaot. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who shall not fear and glorify your name, O Lord, for you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you. your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen? Who's looking forward to that song? Yeah, God is good. Amen. Avinu, we thank you for the women of flames in our our past, like Fran Slate, uh, in our present, that are here with us and that are encouragers and mighty warriors and uh, are able to to fulfill their calling in such a dramatic way that they can be called a mother in Israel to all of us, even though many of us are not their biological children, but we are their children in the Lord. And uh, I thank you for that, for that truth, Lord, and uh, uh, pray your blessing on uh, the women of our congregation. And we look forward, oh God, to that day. And we ask that you help us to to even bring your kingdom onto earth as it is in heaven, to, um, to push forward to the eschaton, to the to the last days when all evil will be vanquished. And uh, Lord, we ask you to start with us in our own hearts and to, to, that you would draw us near, oh God, and you would be king over us, that we would serve you and know uh, your Messiah that we would be able to sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, the one who was slain, who died for us, and in his name we pray. Amen.